This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi guys, no, 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 no. Yes, I did that. And you would do it too, Quache. What is this? A face? What is this? A book? Oh my God. Facebook. I did you Welcome to Don't Let This Flop, a podcast about internet culture brought to you by Rolling Stone. Where two smart people talk about the dumbest shit that happened online this week. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm EJ Dixon. And I just want to read a headline before we start, and I'm not going to add any context for anybody. But it's blind bisexual and polyamorous goose involved in love triangle dies. Rip King. That's all that needs to be said, really. (laughs) It was funny because my friend dropped this in the chat the day after his bachelor party. And I was like, wow, was the goose at the bachelor party? I feel like it's an implication. Do you want to talk about vabbing? Yeah, yeah. So I'm really excited to talk about this today because I really don't think we talk about bodily fluids nearly enough on this podcast. No, we could stand to talk about more. I think so. I think we set a really good precedent with the shit smoothie. (laughs) I forget what it's called. (laughs) (laughs) Internal internal shower. shower. Yes. In that same vein today. I am speaking, of course, of vabbing or the practice of using your vaginal fluids as perfume, which has been taking over my For You page. I don't know if it's been taking over yours. It's all over mine. All over. Yeah. Putting vagina juice on as perfume has been a huge storm recently across socials. Girlies. Besties. What is this vabbing nonsense I've been hearing from you? So apparently there's this new thing called vabbing and it's not something I would do, but... We were going to do this for flop or not, but we decided no. <laughs> I did consider it. I went to Brighton Beach on Friday night for a bachelorette party. It's a lot. It was a big pre-wedding celebration weekend. And I was like, this might be a good place to vab. And I was like, it's actually the worst place to vab. There was already too much attention being called to our bachelorette party. I didn't like the idea of calling more. It was shockingly alarming. And I can't speak no further. So basically the idea behind vabbing is that you... Dip into your... I wrote honeypot. I don't know why I wrote that. I, you, you dip into your vagina. I hate you from... Come on, Winnie the Pooh. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's not on brand for me. You dip into your vagina. You take some of your juices or whatever, and you dab it behind your ears the way you would with Victor and Rolf's Flower Bomb or a similar perfume. I wear Flower Bomb, and I guess I wear it too much because I got roasted by some teens on the street the other day <laughs> for this. Somebody started screaming, who's wearing Flower Bomb? And I raised my hand, and she said, you only need a little, and she walked away. <laughs> It was humiliating. <laughs> Vabbing originated with the sexologist Sean Boudram. She's very big on Instagram. She wrote about Vabbing in her book, and it went viral after Refinery29 published an excerpt of it in 2019. The idea basically is that Vabbing works because it releases pheromones or chemical changes that elicit hormonal responses from others. And this is her talking about it in a 2019 YouTube video. These signaling molecules are used in bodily fluids such as vaginal secretions and that is why you can use your vaginal fluids as a perfume to draw other people in in the book I suggest women put it on their wrists because we talk with our hands and so we might create that waft I did it today (laughs) it's kind of been circulating on and off since then but it recently started really taking off on TikTok and It's kind of unclear where this exists on the spectrum of like, is this a weird thing that people are talking about or is this a weird thing that people are actually doing? I mean, there are people who say that they tried it, but like people lie all the time. So I don't know if anybody's actually trying this. You have not tried it, right, Brittany? I just, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, I just don't want to smell like vagina. (laughs) (laughs) How long did you need to think about it to come to that conclusion? It wasn't very long. (laughs) (laughs) i i like my perfume what do you wear i have like a few perfumes that i cycle through so i had like chanel number five for a while like a little travel size kind and then i have Mark Jacobs Daisy that I buy like the giant bottle of from Groupon because I love Daisy. That is the best place to buy it from. And I got another one that smells like sunscreen in a like a fun way. I mean, I don't really understand why people want to smell like a girls lacrosse team locker room either. Like, but if they do, that's like none of my business. Like it's so it's it's I mean, for me, my reaction is like less. This is disgusting and more like, okay, but does this actually work? 
And I mean, all evidence seems to suggest that it very much does not. Yeah, I'm not surprised by that. (laughs) (laughs) There obviously isn't any research that's been conducted specifically on vabbing, because honestly, like, why would there be? Like, we haven't found a cure for hiccups yet. So what if someone walked past you on the street and they were like, who's vabbing? And you raised your hand and they were like, you only need a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, I feel like that's the future we're headed towards. (laughs) I can't wait until I walk into some cursed Bushwick bar and I'm like, who vabbed? (laughs) I mean, basically, there like has been research conducted on whether pheromones play a role in sexual attraction, because you've heard about this, right? Like the idea that like smells can play a role in like mating. Yeah, I think like it's become an obsession of sorts on TikTok specifically, because I feel like a lot of the internet has become more and more just like the idea of what's a quick fix for this type of thing. So the idea of like, what's a quick fix for like, attraction or quick fix for finding like your partner or finding like whatever that means, like, this is a symptom of that that's also kind of combined with a lot of the sort of like faux witch talky elements of TikTok that have sort of been overrun by a lot of like fake astrologers and fake witches all the time who are kind of like if you do this thing like this is like your love spell to do this and it's like you're that's not what this is this is just literally you telling people to put their fingers in their vagina and like put on their neck like that's like literally what it is but I think it's like another quick fix thing because I I've gotten like videos that are like, if you wear this perfume, like everyone's going to come running to you, blah, blah, blah. Or if you like, did you see the white dot eye trick that was viral last summer? No. It was this idea of like the way that you do your makeup. If you put these like little white dots, like not all over your eye, but just kind of like three or four just kind of placed around your eye. It's supposed to make someone sort of like zero in and fall in love with you or something. Like it's like a makeup hack or whatever. Like people just like love this shit. They eat it up and it's like all of it's fake. If I saw somebody wearing that at a bar, I would be like, you just spend a lot of time on TikTok. Yeah. I mean, it just, it looks like kind of e-girl-ish. Like it looks like, doesn't look like anything. I'm like, what do you think this does? (laughs) Yeah. There are also a lot of like, like I remember a couple years ago, there was sort of this rash of DNA testing startup where you would basically like spit in a tube with your partner and they would tell you like whether or not you're compatible based on your DNA. And it's all like, I mean, none of it has any real evidence. Like this is all based, this is all based on this very famous Swiss study from 1995. It was called like the sweaty t-shirt study where this guy, this pervert, frankly, because I don't, I don't know what else to call somebody who does this. He gave female college students all these sweaty t-shirts from men and said, here, smell these, smell these animals, <laughs> cows, <laughs> Let me, let me know which of you cows prefers <laughs> prefers which of these shirts. And and the women all said that they preferred the ones that had like a, a vaguely different DNA profile than their own. And so basically the study author said that proved that women could subconsciously identify the DNA of men because basically you're you're supposed to procreate with the partner who has like complementary DNA to you, not like similar DNA to you. And that they could identify this based on smell alone. But that study, I mean, there are a lot of scientists who are very critical of that study because it was designed by a Swiss pervert and (laughs) the idea that odor like plays any role whatsoever in sexual attraction in general they're just like why why would you think this that's gross again like I think a lot of it's more extreme now like I do think that scent can and does play some sort of factor into it because I think there's also a lot with like perfume too like it sits on people's bodies differently like there are certain ways that like certain perfumes will smell on one person versus another person just because it like is interacting with your own scent like I believe it to a degree but I don't think it's like an end-all be-all sort of like this is the way to get laid is that you're like putting on this like pheromone roll-on or you're putting on like vaginal juices or this like tiktok popular perfume and also wearing white dots around your eyes I mean, do you have any like personal experience to rebut this? Like, is there uh, is there a particular fragrance you want to plug that you've successfully used? Well, I mean, I think like, again, like I feel like certain things sit on certain people differently, too. So it's like I really like like floral perfumes and like a lot of my friends like really hate floral perfumes. But like, I feel like I smell really nice with them. So I get a lot of compliments when I wear floral perfumes. I always get compliments from when I wear my Chanel perfume. It's very weird. Chanel's a classic. It's a classic. Can't argue with a classic. If anyone wants to fund my Chanel perfume. (laughs) supply. Yeah, I mean, if there are any perfume manufacturers listening to this who are concerned about vabbing, dipping into their market, I mean, we have a podcast that you can advertise on. Like, I am am not ashamed to say that. I'll wear your perfume and I'll tell you my honest truth. 
Did it work better than babbing? Yes or no? <laughs> straight people. It's time for straight people. And this week is a big week for the brand of heterosexuality because Ben Affleck and JLo finally got hitched. I've been very excited about this. They got married in a Las Vegas chapel drive through and Jennifer Lopez is now legally Jennifer Affleck, which I find like kind of crazy that she changed her name. So the Paris nuptials arrives two decades after they first started dating, which I kind of love. It's like almost exactly 20 years since then. They were, of course, like the Hollywood It couple from 2002 to 2004. And they were both sort of reaching their celebrity apex at the same time while they dated. And right after their breakup, JLo would go on to marry and have kids with Mark Anthony later that year. And Ben did the same with Jennifer Garner not too long after. And since divorcing those two, they've been in and out of other big name relationships, of course. J-Lo was notably engaged to A-Rod for like way too long. They were clearly never going to get married. And Ben had a pandemic whirlwind romance with Anna DeArmas that was really just like keeping me afloat for like most of 2020, to be honest, because it involved a lot of paparazzi photos of them doing like staged walks and getting Dunkin' deliveries to his house and then ended with him tossing an Anna DeArmas cardboard cutout into the trash. So Benefer, of course, reunited last year and got engaged for the second time a few months back. And the wedding seemed really low-key and lovely. I don't know if you read, I guess we should start calling her like Jay Fleck. JF? I don't care. I whatever she wants. J Lo Fleck. Anyway, the blog post that she wrote on it was actually very sweet and earnest. And it was like very romantic. And it just seems like they wanted to do something low-key because they just are in love. And I believe them. And I'm happy for them. You read that Dumois blind item from a couple months ago before they even got back together where she was apparently like locked herself in her bathroom the night before she married Mark Anthony, allegedly, allegedly locked herself in the bathroom before she married Mark Anthony and was really drunk and started screaming about how she should have married Ben instead. Well, I mean, I think like I didn't realize the timing of them getting together with Mark and Jennifer Garner because it was like literally a few months after Ben and JLo broke up, her and Mark Anthony were suddenly engaged. Like it was like, Literally just a couple months after. And like also a few months after that's when Ben and Jennifer Garner like got engaged. So it seems like very like funny timing that they kind of entered the relationships that they would like end up settling down in the most like the longest and like have kids with and also would sort of end tumultuously and then end up back together, which I'm really happy for. I like them. Yeah, together. I'm happy for them, too. I they're they're both a cute couple. Like I, I love a, a Leo Leo couple. I'm just happy for them. They're both very hot and very insufferable in completely different ways. And I think that's beautiful that two hot and insufferable people can find each other. Yeah. And speaking of hot and insufferable people, our other straight people news is Lana Del Rey and her new boyfriend. So I don't <laughs> I don't know how much you're on Lana Del Rey Twitter, EJ, at all. Not, I think I told you, like, I, I am not involved in like, like, I am not a Lana Del Rey stand, but I deeply respect Lana Del Rey stands. I, they are ride or die for Lana Del Rey. I would say I'm I respect like, that. A light stand. Like, I love her music. I find her as, like, a public figure to be, like, hot and insufferable. But I love following along for the ride because she's sort of really, she's become sort of, like, Midwestern goddess vibes. Like, she's giving, like, Maxinista, like, she only wears ballet flats still. I just, I love her vibe. She just reminds me of, like, everyone I grew up with. And that's a kind of a, a fun vibe for a pop star to have. When she wore a Dillard's dress that she bought day of to the Grammys a couple years ago, that's when I really started to be like, I'm obsessed with this energy for you. Yeah, she's like a step away from like Vicodin popping soccer mom. And I really respect that. And I her. mean, that fits the the music and the entire yeah, trajectory. Sure. So if you're not, I do highly recommend entering Lana Del Rey Twitter because it's been a complete blast over the last week now, basically, because... There are viral photos that happen of Lana and her new boyfriend, Jack Donahue, in front of the Cook County Correctional Facility in Illinois for some reason. And Jack had posted the photos with the caption, family visit, on his Instagram. <laughs> so Lana and her, her fans sort of have like this weird relationship now because her dating history has been so cursed. And I mean, that's like also just the vibe of her music overall. Like she literally has made music just about dating questionable men. And of course, like when she dated the cop, that was a real, like, that was a real schism between Lana and her stands for a little bit. So no one really trusts her taste in men at this point. Like, we're like, oh, she's probably going to start dating some like MAGA guy who stormed the Capitol. Like, we're all just kind of waiting to, for the big one. So this guy, of course, based off the vibe alone, like, how would you describe him, EJ? How would you describe this man 
without any context. He has Thorin Bradley vibes. He has like insane Thorin Bradley vibes. So that means that he could go either way. He could either be like a MAGA chud or he could be like a pro-choice guy who just really enjoys like taking a shirt off and chopping wood in the woods. Like it could go either way. They're kind of like trailer park hot, like couple posing in front of a jail vibe picture really was like people made it made everyone question like what's going on here but it pleases me to inform everyone that jack is not only kind of cool but also maybe bi so maybe he's not like super like shitty i'd have to hope though like bi people can be shitty as well but i don't know i would hope that he's not different like, ways in different ways conservative maga shitty <laughs> as her fans were kind of worried that he might be and there's a whole history behind jack which is kind of insane especially because he's had like the kind of craziest life leading up to lana that brings up a, a few people we've talked about on the show many times so first off jack is actually one third of the michigan-born witch house trio salem which i i i'm doubtful that you've ever heard of <laughs> <laughs> so it's like i'm 33 no <laughs> what the fuck is a witch house for you no <laughs> it's some of the most like hipster <laughs> bullshitty type of music i really don't like it's not my thing but like it's like it's, it sounds like if someone added trap beats to the twin Peaks score like if that's just kind of the energy of the music they're very cool in 2010 people love them it's very it's giving like ketamine bushwick dj in the 2010s like that's the entire vibe of how they looked what they sounded like and they were they were quite popular with the indie kids at this time. So he also dated Courtney Love many years ago. So that's sort of his like first brush with kind of famous women, famous troubled women in in the media. And he dated her many years ago. He was her little boy toy for a minute. Courtney is also a good friend of Lana's, but it's actually unclear if Courtney Love approves or disapproves of the pairing, if she set them up, if this is like a schism. People have had sort of there's been some rumors about whether or not Courtney Love and Lana Del Rey have fallen out because they were previously very, very close. I think like they don't follow each other on Instagram anymore because right now Lana, after deleting her verified like official account, basically started posting from like a random burner called Honeymoon and then all the fans discovered it. And so that's where she posts from now. I feel like I'm much more of a Lana Del Rey stan than I realize I am until I start talking and I'm like, here's every detail of her life that you may have missed. <laughs> so there is, thank God, a Julia Fox connection as well, which is deeply thrilling for this podcast because we have talked about Julia Fox so much and we haven't talked about her in a little bit. And years ago, before she was an actress or Kanye West short-lived muse, Julia was a really promising photographer and actually published a couple of very like well-regarded photo books, like photojournalistic type of books. And her second book, PTSD, was released in 2016. And that book actually was involved in the Julia Fox, Azealia Banks feud that happened a few months ago when Azealia posted all those photos that claimed that it was Julia doing drugs and all this other stuff. They were from this book that was released at this time. And basically the book documented this multi-month sabbatical in a poverty-stricken bayou town in Louisiana where she was holed up with none other than the members of Salem. And it seems like she had begun seeing Jack's bandmate, John, though, again, there is a photo circulating of like her and Jack smooching. So they might have dated. So that's kind of like no one really knows like what the situation was with everyone. But she was definitely very, very close with them. They are in the book a ton. And also a big part of the book, like she claimed that John was a sex worker. And so she was documenting his work that was happening like down in Louisiana and Tennessee over the course of the books. It was a big deal to sort of like have this document of what was happening with the band because all the fans were like, where do they go? And they actually returned in 2020 to release new music. So it's hard to tell if Julia and Salem have kept in touch at all. And I am pleased, though, to say that we know one thing, which is that Julia is definitely a Lana stan because she was singing video games on TikTok not too long ago. I hope that they become friends. I feel like they are the friend that each other needs. Yeah, they absolutely are. I feel like she has to come on the podcast. Yeah, we do need to get Julia Fox for the podcast. What else is she doing? I just see her at different parties, like stretching around in latex on pianos. Like that's not a profession. She can't be getting paid for that. Do you watch her TikTok at all? She just like does a lot of DIY hacks. Like she was fixing a car on TikTok. Oh, she's doing a Sydney Sweeney thing? Not that, but she was like doing, she did like a video where she was like fixing something on her car. Or no, she was like drilling in um the license plate on her car and like why heels. Is, why is she driving a car who's letting her drive a car <laughs> maybe she wants to drive i don't know i'm not gonna get in the way of a woman her and her vehicle i mean i know this isn't like saudi arabia but like i would if the woman was julia fox <laughs> you can ask her julia fox <laughs> why are you allowed to drive <laughs> <laughs> and what do you know about jack donahue courtney love and 
Lana Del Rey. Someone tell us. The answers can be found in the MTV video games. I mean, I guess this is moral panic. It's like a reasonable moral yeah, panic. Yeah, I, I would say this is moral panic. Yeah, I mean, for this segment, we talk a lot about how people on the internet freak out unnecessarily over things. Like last week, we talked about SSRIs. But this is a moral panic that unfortunately has some basis, some basis, I would say, a fair amount of basis in reality. It centers around the issue of whether very young kids should be on TikTok. And it specifically focuses on one kid who is a little girl named Ren. She's about three years old. And her mom, Jacqueline, has a very big, very popular TikTok account um, under the handle Ren Eleanor. She has nearly 18 million followers, which is insane for a three-year-old kid. And I want to stress, like, Brittany, you sent me this account, so I don't know if you disagree with my characterization of it, but I kind of did a deep dive into it, and I thought it was, like, on its face, very cute and, like, very normal. So I learned about the account from the other accounts that we're going to talk about that have been having a discourse about Ren and about her mom and about the account, but... I mean, when I looked at the account, like it does, it looks just like a mom, like a very gives like Christian girl autumn vibes, like a mom and her daughter just kind of like hanging out and dressing up and all that kind of aspirational influencery type of stuff. And so if I had not seen the drama first, I would have just been like, this is like almost any other cute kid account. And there are many cute kids that are famous on TikTok. Like, of course, I get a lot of the what's that like soft parenting? What's that term that's been going around? Gentle parenting. Gentle parenting. I, I get those kids a lot. I get like a lot of that. Like, like there's a lot of really, 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 really famous kids on TikTok who have millions and millions of followers and whose parents sort of like, I don't even know what the parents of the gentle parenting kids look like because they literally only post the kids. Yeah, it's not uncommon. And look, I mean, if you are creeped out, the only thing that you would find creepy about this is if you're like inherently creeped out by like blonde children, which to be fair, like I kind of am. That's real. Yeah. Like I'm a little creeped out by blonde children. Like James Vanderbeek has like six children who are all the exact same shade of blonde. And every time I see it, I'm just like, eh. A little bit. So if you're creeped out by blonde children, I wouldn't recommend it. But she's really cute. It's a very cute account. She does things like she has videos where she's like climbing counters to get Girl Scout cookies or she's like eating apple cider donuts. And they seem to be making or the mom seems to be making a fair amount of money off it because they've partnered with brands like Shein and Hippies, which, by the way, have you tried Hippies? Yeah, I love those. They're so good. I just tried them over the weekend. We need to get hippies. To- <laughs> I, I feel like this is just an audition for sponsors. I know, so. We're just like perfume and, and chickpea snacks. Please, please call us. They're healthy and filling and vegan too. Yeah, the white cheddar <laughs> flavor is my favorite. <laughs> so good. They do brand deals with brands like hippies. Great brand. <laughs> wonderful, brand, wonderful brands like hippies, <laughs> which is in a way it's problematic in itself because it raises questions about whether kids can really consent to being profited off of by their parents on the internet. But these are not like new questions. These are questions that have been going around ever since like the advent of social media. Like, yeah, I mean, this is like the essential question of Hollywood and any sort of entertainment industry is like, when is it exploitative? Like this is like goes well beyond influencers and does not begin or end with them. Yeah, exactly. It's not a new conversation. But lately, what has been new and where this gets a little darker is there's been this movement recently driven by TikTok moms calling out Jacqueline for sexually exploiting her child on social media, basically. And some of it focuses on the content that she's posting, but it's mostly about how it's being received. This woman, All Things Kelso, made a video explaining that Ren may have attracted the attentions of child abusers on the internet. You go in the comments, it is all of these creepers uh, commenting all this crazy weird shit. Not to mention in the search bar, there is Ren eating a corn dog, Ren scandalous outfits, She's three. So let's talk about it for a minute. Obviously, there are creeps everywhere and there are a lot of things that you cannot control when it comes to protecting children. But you can control the content you post of your own children on social media. She points out some of the more questionable videos on Ren's account, like there's a video of Ren playing with a tampon or Ren like taking a bath in a bathing suit. And she says those those types of videos get more saves and likes than some of her other videos. And a bunch of other TikTokers have specifically tracked down some of the people leaving these comments on Ren's videos or saving these videos. And they've been doing some detective work and it's like scary stuff. Like they have social media accounts that are devoted to like pinning photos of children's feet or like saving videos of like six month old babies. Like it's unquestionably, there is definitely a segment of Ren's audience that is unquestionably 
weird and not following her for the right reasons. And there's also, I will add like a lot of comments to that I noticed like going through it that were like also really like it was like directed at both the mom and at Ren. Like it was just like the idea because they're she the mother Jacqueline is a single mom. And so it's just like a lot of like kind of creepy men trying to insert themselves. I feel like that's like the other part of it too is like this is a single mom and her daughter. And I think they're also kind of trying to insert themselves into whatever sort of dynamic. It's like so gross. A combination skeevy and creepy sort of comments aimed at both of them to like insert themselves in their lives. What a gross fantasy. It's just so weird. But I have very mixed feelings about this because I really do not believe that Ren's mother is or was at least like knowingly sexually exploiting her daughter on social media. Like I do not have a problem with her posting a video of her kid playing with a tampon or taking a bath fully clothed. Like, I don't see those things as inherently sexual. Like, I don't. I will say, like, I a lot of the videos I saw weren't necessarily about the fact that, like, her mom was posting these things to attract the people. It's more that her mom hasn't taken action to stop it. I think that's, like, the bulk of the criticism. At least, that like, when I sort of, like, did, like, a sweep of it, like, it was, like, a, the bulk of the criticism I saw was, like, if you see people talking about this and, like, if you go to the hashtag, like, the entire hashtag for the account is, like, all videos denouncing the kind of pedophile, like, base that seems to have maybe be like attracted to this like account and be like saving a lot of the videos but like it's just like the fact that she hasn't deleted the account or hasn't stopped posting videos of her is like the part that people were kind of like it's weird that you haven't stopped yet or or commented on it right i i've seen two strands of the conversation i've seen this strand of the conversation where people are blaming her for going out of her way to like sexually exploit Rem, which I disagree with. I don't think she's doing that. And I have seen a strand of the conversation that's basically saying what you're saying, which is why are you not commenting on this? Why have you not deleted the account? Like you are enabling this because she, she, because you must know because she's been getting just constant, constant like stitches and duets of her content. So the other strand of the debate which I think is the real issue here. Are you exploiting your daughter by posting her on social media to begin with, despite knowing the types of people the account is attracting? That's something that I think could apply to any creator who posts videos of their kids because at the end of the day it doesn't really matter whether the videos she's posting are innocent or not because there are plenty of people on the internet who will not view them innocently regardless of what you post. And I think I think every parent knows this on some level and sort of makes the decision like accordingly whether or not they feel comfortable posting their kids. But like the difference is that Jacqueline is doing this on a much bigger scale and she's monetizing it. And it's absolutely worth calling her out on that. And it's absolutely worth calling her out for keeping this account up, knowing the type of people it's attracting. Yeah, I mean, I think especially you have to assume that it's probably making them a lot of money because they have like 18 million followers it's not a normal number of followers on tiktok like that's a pretty large following to have on any social media platform and like that's a pretty easy to monetize number of followers where you can very much like probably make an entire living off of this and especially as a single mom as a young single mom like it's probably i feel like the money's a little bit louder. Yeah, I think I have more sympathy for her than other moms perhaps do for that reason. Like I get that to a point with it because it's probably just like, oh, I can make all this money from this. Yeah, it's hard to leave that amount of money on the table, especially like we don't know if it's her sole source of income, but it might very well maybe she has enough followers where it could be. And that sort of has opened up the larger discussion of whether parents should be posting their kids or making money off their kids online at all. And there's sort of been this mass movement of moms on TikTok that's that's happening right now who are seeing what's going on with Ren are horrified and they're taking photos and videos of their kids off social media as a result. And they're also asking questions about like whether child labor laws should exist to protect kid influencers as they do to protect kid actors. And this is great. Like these are really valuable questions to ask, I think. The law hasn't adapted yet to the current realities of social media, so these kids are completely unprotected by child labor laws. This is especially important when you consider how important child labor laws, specifically ones related to entertainment, are to protecting children in the entertainment industry. Have you been on the Ren Eleanor subreddit? I don't go on Reddit. Oh, I love... (laughs) 
It's not my love Reddit. Reddit's so helpful, especially for these types of stories. Can I explain something embarrassing about me and Reddit? Okay. I have no idea what you're going to say, but okay. I don't know how to read it. Yeah, that's a little embarrassing. (laughs) I find the layout of it so deeply stressful in a way where it makes me feel like I have really severe reading comprehension skills. Like it makes me question my ability to read. Brittany, it's not like Hebrew. No, it's literally like it confuses me so much. I I think maybe it's just like... (laughs) Maybe it's just like the layout. Something about the layout is very deeply unattractive to me where I cannot and do not want to read. Like, I just find like, I find the UX stressful. (laughs) No, I know know what you mean. But it's just like, it's just, it's just somebody makes a comment and then other people reply to that comment and other people reply to that comment. I don't like to read it. I don't like it. It's like a nesting doll. Yeah, I understand. And it's also for nerds. I mean, to be fair, it's for nerds. So we shouldn't even be talking about it on here, honestly. We should bleep it out. (laughs) But like there's this whole subreddit that has like 14,000, 15,000 followers. And like it's largely focused on like conspiracy theories about the mom and various ways in which Ren's videos like can be interpreted as sexual, even though it's framed out of concern for Ren's welfare. So it's a little depressing. But I mean, at least parents are thinking more carefully about what they post online, I guess. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. We spend a lot of time talking about dumb celebrity stuff on here, but arguably no one on the internet cares more about celebrities than Claire Parker and Ashley Hamilton. The two host Celebrity Memoir Book Club podcast, where they pick one celebrity memoir per episode and obsessively parse through them like a Talmudic scholar. So if you ever wondered what Denise Richards was thinking when she got her breasts done, or whether Amy Schumer ever hooked up with John Mayer, this is the podcast for you. They also have a ridiculously dishy and addictive TikTok account where they post celebrity gossip. And occasionally they've even entered the news cycle themselves as well. Like when Ioni Sky, the actress from Say Anything, responded to their episode about Anthony Kiedis's memoir in which he discusses moving in with her when she was 16 and he was 24 and that prompted a whole news cycle. It's a really great podcast. It's an amazing account. And we wanted to have them on to talk about celebrity culture, online blind items, TikTok, and their favorite and least favorite celebrity memoirs of all time. So you've both hosted a few podcasts together, and I know you guys from the Britney Spears podcast that we did years ago. And how did you start working together? And why did you eventually decide to make one on celebrity memoirs? We met through stand-up comedy a couple of years ago. I started in Los Angeles and I moved to New York a couple of summers ago and met Claire. And we decided we're comedians. We should have a podcast because it just feels wrong to not. And we were like, well, there's no podcast about Britney Spears. And we decided to just go track by track through her entire discography and really explore Britney Spears, which was a lot of fun until the sort of rumblings about the abuse in her conservatorship started. And we were just like, oh, never mind. It's actually not that fun to be speculating on Britney Spears right now and to be making fun of her, even though lovingly, because this is really scary and we have no real information other than like what other like diehard fans are circulating on the internet, which felt like irresponsible to talk about. So we stopped the Britney Spears podcast and we had another detour into another podcast that didn't last that long, I guess, in the grand scheme of our lives and the scheme of podcasting. Yeah. So we moved on to We're in a Fight, which was supposed to be about female friendship, but looked at like the way we talk about dating and just the fact that like women do have fights and there are all these tricky nuances and the fallings out and the weird breakups of friendship and how we don't really have a vocabulary for that. 
that. Unfortunately, we did not have the expertise to really do that podcast. And a lot of women are not willing to come on a podcast and talk shit about their ex-best friends the way most people will talk shit about a bad one date. So then it ended up just being me and Ashley getting to our own fights every week on the podcast. And it turns out that's an extremely toxic way to have a friendship. So we wanted to switch. Around this time, Jessica Simpson had just come out with a book and Mariah Carey had just announced her book. And we kind of had this idea of like, oh, this is it. This is the ethical way to consume pop culture because we wanted to go back to pop culture. But looking at what happened at Britney, we don't want to drive people to insanity. We don't want to ruin lives. And so, but we do have a lot of judgments and comments and snarky things to say. So we were like, here's what we'll do. We'll let these celebrities tell us their stories in their own words. And then we will talk mad shit or call them out for what we don't think is truthful or whatever. Or if their books are bad. Yeah, I mean, and some of the books we love, but we feel like that's above board. You tell us what you think, and then we'll talk about what we think you think. (laughs) What would you say, what what is your favorite celebrity memoir and what is your least favorite celebrity memoir that you've covered on the podcast? It's hard to say because what makes a good memoir is not necessarily what makes a good episode. We have kind of two columns of episodes that our listeners love, and it's like the make fun of the dumb white bitch episode, which is like a Christine Quinn, a Rachel Hollis, an Amy Schumer, a Yolanda Hadid. Yeah. I mean, so for us though, our favorite, our actual favorite books are the ones where someone is just honest and you can see that there's been any growth at any point in their lives. So like a Drew Barrymore, Gabrielle Union, we just did Taraji P. Henson. The episode came out today and she was incredible. And then our least Elvira, favorite. I would say Elvira. Yeah. And then Viola Davis, Molly Shannon. And this is the wild card. The Bella Twins. Oh yeah, had a phenomenal book. <laughs> it it really is so good. Like, and it's not like a work of genius. It is just like truthful and lovely. And then our least favorite books are usually dudes. They're so full of shit. They think everything they say is the most like self important poetic bullshit you've ever heard. Am I allowed to swear on this? <laughs> I just realized I don't. Okay, it's just like self important bullshit constantly. The way like Rob Lowe talks about his craft, you're just like shut up Rob Lowe. I hate you. (laughs) And then I think the winner for the worst book we've read to date has to be Judy Greer. Oh yeah. That book was just the, just absolutely dull. There was nothing in it. And I mean, some of these books, at least you can make fun of. I mean, Jennifer Lopez has a quote unquote memoir. That's really just like a catalog pull out. And at least that had some, I mean, I've never read something more boring than Judy Greer's book. Yeah. And it wasn't even just that she didn't like, you don't have to throw celebrities under the bus and give us like raunchy stories. You could have just like talked about your life and your growth into your career and like really given us something to think about. But instead she just gave literally nothing. You said that something that you appreciate in celebrity memoirs is honesty. How do you know that a celebrity is being dishonest in a memoir? Like, can you can you provide an example? You can feel it. Like when someone's not being honest with themselves and like things just keep happening to them and all that. You're just like, all right, well, there's like clearly been no self-reflection before you put pen to your ghostwriter's paper here. I mean, I think a good example, if we want to talk about evil men, let's talk about Tommy Lee, Anthony Kiedis, the way they describe how awful the women were in their lives and how it's not really their fault they're abusive. It's that the women were so manipulative. Tommy Lee tells the story of the night he got arrested for domestic violence. He kicked Pamela Anderson in the bum, he says. A soft kick to the bum while wearing a slipper. And it was a mistake and it was one time and that was it. And it was because she had been so out of control and crazy and not let him see his kids after he very reasonably and calmly suggested her mother doesn't come over for dinner. So what was the most gasp-worthy moment you've had reading a celebrity memoir? I just, well, I mean, maybe because it's fresh in my mind, but I didn't believe it or I didn't understand the magnitude of it when I was reading it. But we just read that Taraji, when she was in Benjamin Button and third on the call, she only netted like $40,000 from that entire movie, which got her an Oscar nomination. Yeah, and it was like a movie starring... I mean, Brad Pitt. So you can only imagine. I think the budget for it was like $130 million. Yeah. And it grossed like over $300 million at the box office. She made 150 k And that was negotiated up from like 100 k And then they were like, okay, we'll pay her 150 k But she's going to have to pay for her own accommodations on a location shoot. And so, I mean, I I think they shot for three months. So I feel like she might have been better off taking the 100 k and having her... Relocation paid. I like am now praying for the day I see Brad Pitt on the street and I go, Why didn't you stop that? 
And it's like, I guess Brad Pitt didn't think the third lead in that movie was important. I don't know. It's obviously on the whole system, but it makes me so mad. We talk a lot about blind items on here. Oh my God. Hit me with a blind item. Are there any in particular that like haunt you? I mean, haunted just the whole system. I actually just got dinner with Troy McKeady of the Beyond the Blinds podcast. If you guys like blind items, you guys should listen to his podcast. But he was kind of giving me the whole rundown of the Yacht Girls and like Zach Efron is a part of that group and just all of the seedy underbelly of Hollywood and where Lindsay Lohan, all these men that keep getting engaged to Lindsay Lohan come from. I mean, I do think I believe it all with a pitch of salt, but I also do believe that at the top of any industry where rich men are, a lot of evil is happening. Yeah, I feel like I always start looking into it and then it gets so sinister that I need to take like a couple of weeks off. Like I can't think about it that hard because I'm just like, this is horrifying. I'm also a big every relationship is a PR relationship believer. Oh, me too. I think there are so many. Can you explain quickly what Yacht Girls are? I think we've talked about them before, but... Yacht Girls are kind of like just a high-end escort and they get their name because... They're often on yachts. Yeah, like men will get yachts and then they'll hire sort of a, a troop of girls to come and be sex workers on the yacht. And it's women that you see that are, you wouldn't assume because of like the stereotype of who gets into sex work, but it's like very famous, beautiful women who are otherwise still making a lot of money. But yeah, those women. I, I mean, and there's like a really thin line with all of these appearance fee situations. I mean, for the most part with a lot of yacht girls, especially the intro to it, they're like modeling agent is the one brokering those deals. So it doesn't necessarily feel like anything. So like under the table until you're kind of deep in that world. And which piece of gossip are you currently obsessed with right now? Is there any that is like kind of... We knew about the Emily Ratajkowski thing for a while. <laughs> Can you explain that real quick? So Emily Ratajkowski just announced her divorce from her husband. I think his name is Sebastian McCloud. Bear McCloud. Bear McCloud, whatever. He's not... Impor- I like don't want to know his name because he's not famous. And I do kind of think... Yeah. You know the famous one. And then the not famous partner is just that person's partner. So it's Emily Ratajkowski and then her weird looking husband, ex-husband. And that I had heard since January, they'd been on the rocks because he had been cheating on her. Yeah, this whole thing. Remember when it was announced that they were together? And I feel like for the most part, people found out they were together when suddenly they were just married in a courthouse. Like I had no idea who he was. And then everyone was like, oh, Emily Ratajkowski's new husband, the movie producer. And apparently that's just like, that was like a laundering sitch. I love the implosion of that relationship. I mean, I don't, I feel bad for her, but like, it's, it's just fascinating to me that anybody would cheat on that woman like so flagrantly. I do think though, for anybody who's looking at that relationship and going, well, if she's getting cheated on, what about me? They got married, I think within a few months. And you do have to wonder if you're marrying Emily Ratajkowski after three months, then was that the truest love of all time? Or was that somebody who wanted to impress a lot of people? And as I recently said on a TikTok, if that's your mindset for relationships, if you're looking for a prize on your arm, then that's not an itch that'll be scratched forever. Like that's going to come back. And one woman isn't going to always fulfill that role in your life. Yeah. She also, it seems like has a lot of sort of like insecurity about people, like kind of just using her. I think from her book, it comes across a lot that she like never really knows when someone is like close with her because of who she is or because they genuinely like her. And I think she really wants to get across that she is like a person, which it's sad that you even have to say that, but I don't think people think of her that way. And she, I feel like initially liked him because he wasn't famous. And then I think kind of quickly realized that he was just like social climbing, but she didn't want to admit it to herself. Like she has an essay in her book about how she like had to dress up really pretty to go to this party with him on a day that she like didn't want to go to a party, but he needed to meet people in that room. And so, and he was like pretty insensitive to her, like not really wanting to be there. It seems like a lot of celebrities who come of age, like on the internet where you can basically like craft your own persona and like leak your own news are less inclined to like make themselves vulnerable and, and, spill the tea and write these types of books like the situation you're describing with Emily Ratajkowski like I feel like that's kind of rare in the genre of celebrity memoir uh, for celebrities who come up who have come up like recently because celebrities just have it feels so much more tightly controlled so do you guys think we're seeing like the decline of the age of the celebrity memoir I know the opposite (laughs) I think honestly I think that it is so tightly controlled and people are like bursting to get out I think that everyone like creates this box for themselves and then is like but I want you to understand understand that I like exist like they want to be liked for real okay and I would actually say I don't even think that that's why personally that's not my feeling about what's going on right now I think it's less celebrity driven and more a publishing industry death situation where there's this whole category of memoirs that we call the celebrity memoir merch drop essentially and that these books are not 
poignant, thoughtful books, they are, a publisher came to them, a Chriselle Strauss, for example, on Selling Sunset. She says right there in the book, when the publisher approached me, I never thought I'd write a memoir, but I'm so excited they asked. And that's very much what they're doing right now. They say, if you have a certain number of followers, they'll buy your book. We They send a ghostwriter. The ghostwriter meets with you for one day for six hours. They write it in three months, send you a copy, you give your notes, and then they publish it. And so they're just kind of like cranking these things out. So it's kind of just a cash grab for the publishing industry. Okay. So I think that there's two types. Like I think that exists. And then I think this like vulnerable Emily Ratajkowski style memoir is like in response to the curation of an online persona kind of, but I, but these memoirs, like the fact that they're, I mean, how many bachelor contestants have come out with a memoir in the last like six months? It's insane. No, but then there's the other type, which is the Jessica Simpson, the Mariah Carey, which is women who were maligned in the early aughts are finally given a chance to reclaim the narrative. And so I think if we see any of that from the Instagram generation, the online generation, it'll be because they've lost control of who they want to be. And this is the most official way to reclaim the narrative. And I do think we see that with Emily Ratajkowski. She doesn't want to be a hot girl anymore. She wants to be a smart hot girl. How often do you hear from the celebrities that you talk about? Never. I mean, we've like talked to one Bachelor contestant. We like interviewed her about her book. And then we had nobody we've ever talked about behind their back, quote unquote, has then confronted us later. Well, the one situation we had was when Jody Sweeten's daughter was like commenting on our TikToks being like, why are you talking shit about my family? Oh, yeah. I, about that. <laughs> so. I think I found out about you guys when Ioni Sky. It wasn't really like a combative yes, video yes, that Ioni you made, Sky. but when Ioni Sky was made a video like clarifying yeah. some of the things that you discussed in the Anthony Kiedis episode. Because she, I think she just agreed with you. She's like, you're right. That was what happened. But like Anthony Kiedis didn't address us. So I guess we've had Ioni Sky. Christine Quinn recently commented on one of our TikToks. I don't know that she listened to the episode. We did one on Olivia Munn that went pretty viral for us. And we've gotten confirmation that she knows it exists. And we know Lena Dunham got sent our episode, but I don't know if she ever listened. What did Jodie Sweeten's kids say? What was that in response to? So we made a video. Jodie Sweeten wrote this book in the midst of a custody battle. So her take on her husband, I don't, I mean, he didn't seem like a good person. We've read a lot of stories of men being absolute fucking horror shows in, in the delivery room when a woman is having a baby and a man's like, but my tummy hurts. So we basically, I was just retelling that story being like this absolute deadbeat. And she was like, are you talking about my dad like that? And I was like, whoa, the kid that was being delivered in that labor room is now a teenager with TikTok. And I was like, I mean, I'm talking about your dad that way because your mom wrote about your dad that way. And he seemed like a horrible person based on the way he's portrayed in the book we just read. But if this is causing problems in like a kid's life, I'm going to private this TikTok. <laughs> Does it ever make you like reconsider how you guys talk about celebrities hearing directly from the people involved? Not from like an empathy perspective, but from a, I don't personally want anyone to hate me perspective. I don't, yeah. I, mean, I stand by most of what I've said. I do think there is something to the celebrity memoir, even if you are a woman who's been maligned, blah, 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 blah. If you're writing a memoir, you do have power. We are not punching down. These are people who were paid to tell their side of the story, which is a privilege not a lot of people get. And if you were a celebrity at any point, like you did have some sort of privilege and power. And now you're getting to tell your tale in your own words. We can't sit here and pretend like you're a complete victim. That right. is a very powerful place to be. And also something like that. I'm like, listen, I get that this book did not age well within your family. Your mom did still publish it. Like I didn't make this up. I read it in the book that like this girl's own mother wrote and published. We read them compassionately. Like Mel B., of the Spice Girls is a really good example of somebody who, when she was with her ex and in the throes of her addiction and in an abusive relationship, made choices that were not the best choices as a parent. I mean, she had kids in those abusive relationships who were being treated like shit by her partners that she refused to leave because she told herself, what's happening to my kids isn't that bad. She was getting too drunk and too high to watch her kids. Her, she sent her oldest daughter, I think, to one of those therapeutic boarding schools that are now being outed as like absolutely abusive. I mean, she made some choices. I don't think anybody would be like, great choice, but she was in such a bad place and she was so vulnerable and honest and doing her best now and being so forthcoming in her book that we didn't hold it against her. Because as far as the book goes, all we can ask is that you be vulnerable, open, honest, and sincere and authentic. And if you give us that, we kind of don't judge you as a person. I also don't feel like with these books, we're like, we're not digging up an old tweet and judging someone for it. Like, I do feel like you can kind of hope that putting something in a book like this, like would carry a little bit more weight in terms of stuff that they themselves should stick by. My last question 
question for you guys would be, who is a celebrity that you wish would write a memoir? Okay. I mean, I've said this one a couple of times, but I am obsessed with getting the other side of the story from one of Tom Cruise's ex-wives. So whether it's Nicole Kidman or Katie Holmes, I would love for it to be honestly either of them. I want Wendy Dang. <laughs> I don't know if she's considered oh God, a yes. celeb <laughs> celebrity, but I do think like the plot holes of the global political economic like happenings of the last decade would be answered if we knew what that woman was doing. I don't understand how there hasn't been like a prestige HBO TV show about Wendy Dang. I mean, it must be in the works. Whoever <laughs> listens to this. I- it would be so good. She, her story is incredible. I, there's no more powerful woman. There's no more. Yeah, that's a good one. This was great. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having us. <laughs> Welcome to Himbo of the Week. I usually do a different tagline each week, but I really loved calling it Head Empty Hotties. So I'm going to stick with that for a little bit because... Yeah, I think it's good. It's where I'm at personally and professionally, and I enjoy the name. So we literally just talked about this himbo, but we have to talk about her again because she keeps going viral. So Drew Barrymore, you will always be famous and beloved because she's truly iconic. I don't know the sports reference. Is this our first doubleheader himbo? No, we did the train guy multiple times. But two times in a row? Not two in a row, not in a row. I don't, well, is that what doubleheader means? I don't know. Yeah, doubleheader. Two this games in a row. This is a bad yeah. analogy to do for this podcast. <laughs> I said I didn't know the analogy. I said. You didn't know the analogy. Then you got mad that I didn't know what it meant. <laughs> No, I wasn't mad. Sports podcast. This isn't what that is for. (laughs) So Drew is himbo for a second week in a row because for a second week in a row, another TikTok of the icon finding the absolute joy in the simplest things has gone viral. So on Sunday of this week, Drew posted a video of herself smiling as she gets rained on, giggling and encouraging everyone to go out in the rain too. I mean, just listen to her. Absolute joy. (laughs) Whenever you can go out into the rain do not miss the opportunity (laughs) i mean this in the nicest way possible i'm pretty sure she's a dog yes she has such golden retriever energy like she has such golden retriever energy she's like did you watch like bojack horseman she has like such like mr peanut butter energy Yes, she's absolutely Mr. Peanut Butter. That is a hundred percent correct. She's just like so it's just so happy to be in the rain. Like she and it's like so genuine too. Like a lesser star would go film that same video and you would be like, is this ironic? Or is this like you a bit like it's like you're watching Drew do it and you're like, Oh, I think she genuinely cried in the rain because she just loved it so much. Like that's just so sweet. I'm just, I'm so happy for her. Like, I love this video and I like can't even describe how much joy it has brought me. Like, I have watched this video so much. Like, I'm probably at least a million of the like 10 million views it has right now. It's just But me. people make fun of her. People are making fun of her right now. I don't understand that. I mean, like, she has been through so much. I'm going to choke up like Drew finding a window. Like, I just think that she's been through so much and she deserves this joy. And I mean, I think everyone making fun of her, like, it just feels like they don't understand the context of Drew finding this joy and like why it feels so special. Like she, of course, had a notoriously horrendous childhood. She was born into an old Hollywood family, but they did nothing to protect her. She began her career. She'd like go to Studio 54 and go to these like drug and booze filled like Hollywood parties all under the age of 13, like well before she was like deep into puberty. Like she was in rehab as she entered her teenage years. Like she had a very long recovery road that, just was it was I mean I cannot imagine being 13 to 15 and having to sort of go through that and to have to recover from drug and alcohol addiction before you are even like a legal adult so she put her career back on track she put her life back on track she's been doing well ever since she's had a wonderful career she had like more incredible roles and fame like after that she's just been in a healthier place in her life and you know what maybe she's just happy to be alive and I'm happy she's alive I'm happy for her. I'm I'm thankful for her. So if you don't fuck with Drew, I don't fuck with you. That's on Himbo. Hold on, you were scrolling for way too long now. Maybe you should get some food, get some water, and then come back later. Thanks so much for listening to Don't Let This Flop. Please share this podcast with someone you love or someone you hate. Either way, we don't care which one. 
This podcast is brought to you by Rolling Stone and Cumulus Podcast Network, written and hosted by me, Brittany Spanos, and EJ Dixon. Executive produced by Jason Fine, Bridget Chelsea, and Elizabeth Garber-Paul, and produced by Jesse Cannon with music by Brian DiMeglio.